Hi, I'm Noam Wasserman, Dean of the Sy Sim School of Business at Yeshiva University. I was a longtime professor at Harvard Business School, an entrepreneur, and a venture capitalist. I wrote the bestseller, The Founder's Dilemmas. And I'm Charlie Harari. I've been working with companies for over 10 years. And that book, Founder's Dilemmas, and the challenges faced by the 10,000 founders in it is the basis of this podcast. We are delving into the issues faced by startups to help you avoid the pitfalls that claim so many good companies. Let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, my name is Charlie Harari. And I'm Noam Wasserman. Great and to see you again, Charlie. Great to be back with you, Dean. And this is the Founders Dilemmas podcast where we talk about all matters relating to entrepreneurship and founders and startups and really uh, delve into some of the issues that you really can't see almost anywhere else. And Dean, what have we got for us today? So today, let's start off with one of my favorite founders, a Canadian named Lou Cerny. Uh, Lou had been a techie, did uh, college, computer science, and a bunch of other things that would able give him a starting point for his career. Um, to be able to begin that career, he went to Hummingbird, he went to Apple, did some team leader stuff, so really building his technical quals, uh, project team leader, starting to be able to get to know a bit of the business side also, um, and saw an opportunity in the market. Saw that there are these big enterprise systems, and it was hard for companies to monitor them, uh, and he had a solution for it, and he decided, let me go and create something that will enable me to be able to impact the world while also earning something for myself rather than for these other big companies. And so he starts putting together a team. They start on product development. They start getting something that customers are reacting well to. On the basis of some of those early successes, uh, they're able to raise some money. They're able to go to professional investors after going to initially angels and then being able to move up to the venture capitalists. They start attracting the best of the venture capitalists, hmm. uh, Greylock and other ones that are at the top of the, uh, the venture capital pyramid, um, top VCs coming onto the board of directors. Uh, the money that they got, more resources for them to hire. He built a team of 50 people, uh, <clears throat> very strong, tight-knit family culture within the, within the company. Um, and so something that he was delighted with. And then at a meeting with one of his board members, a partner from Greylock, he was given the message, Lou, you have six months to find a replacement. We need <laughs> you to step down and we need a new CEO to be able to take over the reins. And uh, this is typically the message that when founders get it, this is the ton of bricks that is falling on them. This is the way in which they're getting crushed. And it was very understandable how Lou was crushed by this. He looked at, what about all my successes? What about all of the things that I've been doing well? Do we want to imperil this? Are we going to bring in someone just as we're getting all of this momentum? All of these ways in which both the past and also the future are coming to him. And he's recoiling from this message. A, how does this happen that a founder is getting fired as parent of his baby? And B, what are the ways in which you might be able to see some of the signs that this might be coming and be able to tune into yourself and the journey ahead and be able to tell when is this going to be a problem with it? There's a lot of ways in which we have carryover between our personal lives and, uh, and the professional lives, especially within founding. One of the things that founders hearken back to is they refer to the company as their baby. Is this where I am getting fired as the parent of my baby? Mm -hmm. Am I going to have to give up my baby for adoption? There's going to be someone better to raise my child. Mm -hmm. um, all sorts of ways in which the visceral is what is coming to the fore when it comes to this kind of a message. Um, there was a founder, a very famous founder now, named Jack Dorsey, who was the original founder CEO at Twitter. And uh, 
he had never done anything much more than managing a project team also. So there's some parallels that we can see to what Lou was facing with it. Um, but he, as Twitter was becoming a rocket ship, was given the message by Evan Williams, key board member, key early investor, key early co-founder on it. Jack, you are not the person for this. Tried to explain to him all the ways in which uh, this is a misfit for where the company's going to be going and some of the other dynamics that we're going to be taking a look at. And just capturing a bunch of the visceral sides of this, Jack said this was like being punched in the stomach. Sure. What was the reason um, for, for them saying that? What, what caused them to, to, to tell Lou that he had to leave? So the ways in which stages of companies are dramatically different when you are in a mm -hmm. startup. It was, it was a natural progression. It wasn't something that he, he did or didn't do. It was just that as the company was developing, the board felt that he wasn't able to take them to the next level. So the next level and the way in which it's qualitatively different sure. from the prior level sure. is a critical part of that. Sure. But also one of the other things to appreciate is that Lou's success, and this is what I call the paradox of entrepreneurial success, it was his success that had caused him sure. to be replaced. And this is a very counterintuitive thing because if you compare it to large company CEOs, if they succeed, there's almost zero chance they're going to get replaced unless they want to move on. Right. Success breeds entrenchment. Success breeds that you are going to be in that position forever. Right. In founders, it's, that's what they're expecting. Yeah. My success means that I have proven that I am the best one to be leading this. Right. I'm going to be able to remain in this seat. And it's actually what has heightened the chance that it's actually going to be the replacement scenario right. that's going to be happening right. for this. And also, their success has made them even less open to the conversation sure. about the changes that have gone on and things like yeah. that. I'm shocked when it doesn't happen, to be honest. Meaning, like, I, I would be shocked to see founders take a company from different stages and stay on. And in my opinion, I think what, you, you, have, you have the research on this, but my sense is that when you see it happening, what you see is C CEOs bringing people around them to do the things that they would have otherwise had to do in their replacement, right? When you look at companies' growth, it, it would shock me that a person that has the ability to found something, which is an entirely different scale, set of skills, mostly related to product or service, right? The beginning of something, it's almost all product and service. In the second stage of something, it's almost all company, right? Now something was created. In the beginning, you created a product. Later on, you create a company. A company's a thing. And if you don't know how to run the, the thing called the company, because you don't know how to run the product, you can't grow the company. So actually, there's a new creation that takes place, right? It's, it's the grandchild. And not everyone sees that now there's a baby and the baby's not your child. It's a grandkid. It's a different kid, right? This kid is a company. It's a different kid. It needs processes. It needs, it needs HR. It needs talent. It needs accounting departments. Like it needs a plan and people have to get. That's a different organism than we're all together building a piece of software. To me, I think I would be shocked that a founder who is self-aware wouldn't either be trying to replace himself by putting the people around him so that he can, he can maintain being the product person and either learn, adapt, and develop to know enough, but to rely on someone else to be the company person. Yeah, but a problem is that that self-awareness 
especially if you're a first-time founder like Lou was Impossible. and like Jack Dorsey was. Impossible. You don't understand, A, my strengths and limitations. Yeah. B, how is this going to be a qualitative change? The roadmap of the venture and the roadmap of yourself, as we've talked about a bit in the past. Yeah. And so especially for the first-time founder, the ton of bricks, the punch in the stomach, is going to be a lot more of that message, especially when your expectations have gotten heightened by success. Yeah. Uh, you're getting into, though, also one of the two key elements that is what leads to this happening. Right. And that is those changes that you have within the company. Until now, let's go back into Lou. During product development, the technical challenge was pre predominant. That was what the person leading the charge should have the strengths in it. But then once you finish developing the product, no longer is the technical challenge, it's right. still there, but it's not the predominant one. Right. Now it is building a company. Right. Now it is bringing a bunch of functions into it that you have never worked in before. Right. And so, for instance, for me, one of the most pointed ones was uh, when Lou had to go and make his first sales visit to a company, he went and bought his first suit. Right. Uh, it kind of tells you that he isn't quite ready right. for being able to have that function be the next in the things in his portfolio that he's going to be able to move quickly into. And the quickness of having to move in when it's a fast-growing company is another part of it. Like, if your company is going slowly, you're being able to build things systematically, you have the luxury of time, you can come up to speed on a lot of these things in the learning curve. Um, you can be able to learn about them over time. You can take the luxury of uh, succeed and fail and be able to see what are the best things to do. If it's a rocket ship, you don't have time right. to be able to figure out how do I strap on uh, all the things needed in this rocket and be able to build it at the same time as I'm learning how to do a bunch of the basic dials within the right. control panel and other things like that. Sales is just one of those functions that he For has sure. never worked in. And now he's got to understand also finance and marketing and sure. all of these other things yeah. that he has to knit together, yeah. not just his individual functions, but bring it yeah. all together. I think this, this is important. Whatever stage you are in listening to this, I think what we're talking about right now is, is critically important for, for, for the evolution of your business. And here, here's what I'm taking. Again, let's go back to previous episodes where we did a Q&A on, uh, on reading books of entrepreneurs. And for those who are tuning in for the first time, welcome to the podcast. You check out some of our Q&As where we speak about other aspects that are related. When, when you see someone else's life, it's hard to not get enamored with their success. It's hard when you're an entrepreneur to not get enamored with the success of financial wealth or financial success. Usually financial success comes with someone else's money. Right? When you look at companies that rocket ship, they rocket ship because someone else is giving them money, whether it's a, a private equity firm or whether it's public money. But even if it's debt, you know what I'm saying? Usually when you see quick success, it comes because somebody else said, hey, I'm going to put fuel to this fire. And that feels like it's what everybody wants. But you, you, it's, you proceed with caution. Right? There's a reason why kids are little until they're big, right? Animals aren't, like the horse comes out and the horse is like a horse. It's a little horse, but it, it pretty much knows how to be a horse. Like the three-year-old is not a 20-year-old. There's a reason for that because God knows, like it takes time. When you see companies that go zero to 60, this is some of the stuff that's a problem. The founder would get there, maybe. Or at least he, would, he or she would get smart enough. And I've seen this happen, I'm sure you have as well. When founders start companies and they achieve a certain level of success and they could take on the world, then they hit a couple of major roadblocks and they have no money coming in, meaning they don't have a PE shop, they don't have a public market, it's them. They learn quick and they get resilient and resourceful and they get a little humble and they bring in other people and then they learn, I'm really good at product. 
but I'm relying heavily on my COO for running the company and my CSO for strategy, etc. And then they stay the founder forever because they're not really the founder. I mean, they are the founder, but they're not really the CEO. They've managed to diffuse some of the responsibilities in a healthy way. That doesn't happen when you take a company and it grows with rocket fuel. That founder could get there with the right level of humility and humbleness and hunger. He'll get there, get a, make a couple of phone calls, have a couple of board members, grow a little bit, you'll get there. But I think what happens is we get lost in this world of I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, and you want it, you want to grow so quickly. We, sometimes you grow quickly at your own peril. And the founders and the company, even today, the family businesses and the privately held businesses and the small businesses, and again, whatever stage you're in that you're listening business, when you really look closely at a company, you, I believe you'll find if the CEO is there for a long time, he or she has matured to know I can't do a lot. I can only do a few things really well. When you sit with a CEO and they go, I can only do a few things really well, you know that they're going to be here forever because that's true. And I think that's what happens with founders is that too quick, you have someone else who's got to worry about his bottom line. And the easiest way to worry about his bottom line is to put together a professional CEO that knows how to do it. And that's how founders get popped out. And in ways that we may not even see, it could be a family business and this happens. It could be the company peters out and we, like this happens all the time outside the more proverbial, you know, sit down with the big PE guy because people are not willing to take the time to mature into a very small role when they started the place. Yeah, so with the rocket fuel part that you're talking about, that's actually the second of the big factors um, that was causing the problems for Lou and that a lot of times is the thing that heightens the chances that the founder is going to get replaced. A lot of Lou's success was raising that money from outside people. And every time you raise the money, this is not them giving tzedakah to you. Right. This is not go off, do whatever you want with my money and don't uh, do anything for me again. Um, it is they are going to want to be very careful about being able to monitor, be able to make sure that these things are going well. And also with a bit of their forward looking uh, perspective on what is going to be needed to be able to grow this venture, they're going to want certain things that are taking some control away from the founder. Right. They're going to want board seats. They're going to want say over certain critical decisions. If you're going to be spending more than X amount of money on a decision, you have to check with me first. Um, a bunch of other things that sure. used to be the founder's call that now these investors are coming in to make sure that they're very much doing their, uh, their duties in terms of being able to monitor the money and make sure that um, it's being used in the right way for the founder. And one of the most critical things that they then get control of over time, once they get to the point where more than half of the board is investors or outside people that are not the founder, is who should the CEO be? Yep. And when they're making the judgment over time that this next stage, the founder is not ready for it, and they have control of the board, that is where you have it. the chances of the founder getting replaced going through the roof. Yep. The combination of those two things, uh, being able to have radical changes that are going on within the company and the people who are the outsiders who judge that this is going to be the point at which we have to be able to find someone better who's going to be able to see a lot of the upcoming things and be able to have their skills be a lot more reflective of that. Um, that's the second of the elements that we were talking about before with the rocket fuel. Yeah. Um, another one of the things, though, that's also more in the intangibles realm, we talked about the skill differences, hard skills. We talked about the money hard money that is going in there. But there's also all sorts of things as a company is scaling that have to change in the judgment of those investors. Sometimes it's the culture. 
Sometimes it's the very tight-knit family that uh, Lou had built within his company, and they're going to be judging that that's going to be a limitation on our growth. If this is all everyone, uh, no process, all personal relationships, totally. all sorts of things that are going to be the, um, the limitations on our growth, and they're judging, we have to be a professionalized organization. We have to have someone who's going to be able to come in and bring process to the relationships, that's going to be able to bring a lot of these things that the founder hasn't been able to do. And oftentimes, even if the founder wants to do it, realizes that there's a need to it, to do it, there's all sorts of limitations on what the founder is going to be willing to do. Uh, changing the culture is going to be a tough one. The early loyal employees who maybe aren't scaling and changing them, a bunch of these things are often going to require this new person coming in to professionalize, to upgrade, and things like that. Right. And so even if the want is there for the founder, um, th then uh, it's going to be hard because they don't have the can, they don't have the skills to do it. Or if the can is there, they have the skills and the realization, but the desire to change the early employees and things like that is going to be missing. Either of those two missing is going to be a reason why a new person has to come in. And so on the hard sides and on the soft sides, that's where this is a critical inflection point for the company. Right, and that's why as you grow your own company, you have to be very careful as to whether or not you even want to grow it at the pace or at the size. Bigger, quicker, and faster may be the, the, the end of the company um, in the long run. And so, you know, I, I know people that have companies that are nice sizes, and, you know, I've spoken to them about growing, and they're resisting for this reason. They don't want to lose control. They're happy with what they have, and I, and I respect them for it because they know that as they grow, the money that comes in is going to be money that's going to come with expectations and things are going to, are going to actually change. Um, it's funny, I have a friend of mine who works in M&A at, at, a, at, a, at a big law firm, and he said to me, recently he spoke about this, he said that part of the hardest parts of doing an M&A deal is when you take a company public, is after the company goes public, the bankers and the lawyers sit down with the founders. You know, Now the company's public and they close the deal and the champagne is flat. And they say, all right, let me just tell you what your life's going to be like. And he, he explained to me how, for many founders, they had no idea. Like, they thought they should go public. Like, they're like, no, 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 now, like, counting responsibilities and reporting responsibilities and process responsibility. Like, you don't know your company anymore. And they're like, what do you mean? It's my company. I'm like, no, no, it's not. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the public. The public. It belongs to the public investors. You're, and people don't fully appreciate that, that if you grow a company with not your own money or you know, not on the productivity scale, as, as Ray Dalio would say, if it's coming from debt or from investment or from public money, you're not gonna own your company, right? And that's, whether that's a, a legal shift or just a real life shift, if someone owns all your debt, you don't own your company. And it's so critical as one grows or one thinks about the future of their company to just keep that in mind that the pace in which you grow and the size in which you grow need to be manageable in order for you to maintain your company. Because like you said, you need to do things that are very different as the company grows and you should not be ready for it. You may not be mature enough for it. You may not be able to have the skills. If you don't have a suit, you're not going to be the CEO of a large company. It doesn't work in today's day and age. But you may if it's over the course of a long period of time. right? And so that's really the balance of do I need the money? Do I want the money? How quickly? With whom? And I think people don't get that when they're when they're starting, and they don't get that when there's 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 money dangling in front of them. Yeah, there's a flip side of one of the things we've talked about before about uh, failure and being able to react the right way to it. There's the perils of failure. There's also the perils of success, 
am I ready for being able to have the rocket exactly. ship? Am I being re- Am I ready for what is going to be the price I might pay because of the success? In some ways, it's the equivalent. Uh, this is how I refer to it in the, my second book with the life uh, that life is a startup. Um, you have your kid who has added his or her eyes on their dream college. They get into it, but they're actually not ready for it. Right. You are able to get the money for a down payment on your dream house. But as it turns out, even though you were able to get into that house, you can't afford the payments now. Yeah. The perils of the success being able to be something you would anticipate. In terms of what the data suggests, in terms of Lou Cerny and uh, other founders who are in the same camp, Lou was four years into the venture when he got that message of you have to step down. Um, at that point in my data, 50% of the founders are in the same camp. They're being replaced. You would think that it is the self-aware founder that you were just talking about earlier. Actually, it turns out that about 73% of those changes are involuntary. Hmm. They are blood-on-the-floor firings. They are someone coming and doing the punch in the stomach, the the ton of bricks falling on the founder. The founders are not ready for that message. All the heightened success and the expectations that come with that have been actually the exact opposite of their being able to see when these inflection points are happening. And a lot of times they're the last ones to be able to see it. Sometimes those underneath them are the ones who are able to see it sooner. They're able to see that, no, the founder is going to be running out soon and things like that. Um, That kind of scenario, a little bit more rare, but there's a lot of times that board members are keeping their finger on the pulse by understanding what the team's perspective is on the leader and the things that are going on. Um, It came to mind recently, I was uh, in my double doff um, in the Talmud, I was learning uh, uh, Masechet Harayat. The last daf of that gets into um, when Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Natan were looking at Rav Shimon ben Gamliel, who was the leader of the generation, and saying, he's not the right one to be leading this. And they led a coup to be able to try to change uh, wow. the person who's that leader there. Um, he was able to foil that. Rav Shimon ben Gamliel was able to uh, torpedo that. Um, one of the echoes that we have of that is that throughout the Talmud, um, we see Yesh Omrim and Acherim referred to. That's actually what he renamed them. He said, from now on, we're not going to bring up your names. We're going to use those uh, monikers for you instead. But it's a little bit of an echo whenever we see that in the Talmud of when there was the forced change in the leader uh, that actually failed in that case. But uh, it's not just modern day tech startups that are in. It's human dynamics. It's the timeless in terms of a bunch of the things that are going on um, within teams, within leadership, within changes and other things like that. Uh, But if you think about it, even as we get to the, the end of the Torah, Moshe having to hand the reins over to Yahushua, right. the right. Uh, country building that was going to be going on after, uh, after the Jews went into Israel, um, and that distinctive change in the leaders. But also one of the key things that is highlighted there is when you have the new person coming in, the new person has to leave. And that's what we can get into in our next episode, sure. getting into after the succession, after the change. Should the founders stick around? We'll have to hear about some surprising data when we go and compare it to, uh, to Moshe and to Yoshua about those having to change and when we compare it to large companies. But when it's the next stage of being able to get to the founder and being able to see should that person be around is some of the things we'll be able to get into next. Amazing. So please stick with us next time. Remember, you can always email us at founders-dilemmas-podcast.com. We've, this is our first really a, in a multi-series episode here on succession we spoke a little bit about um, some of the perils of success and some of how what happens along the way in succession and founders that don't end up becoming um, the, the CEO that stays for a long time much because they're they're not ready for it and then didn't realize it and some of the challenges along that way but success next time we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what happens from there and uh, we'll start to continue this conversation of succession which really applies to your business whether or not you're starting it for the first time or um, whether or not uh, you know you are in a situation in which you're going public. So stick with us, founders, dilemmas, podcast. Dot.
at gmail.com and we'll see you next time.